the only house on the street that's been abandoned, but it is the one everyone always talks about. The economy and the housing market are to blame for the other rotten, forsaken homes, the blight that abraded the rest of our home's value and made a once idyllic nabe now ugly. But not this one. This one has its own story to tell. I ram my hands into the pockets of a gray jacket and press on. The lake this morning is angry. Waves pound the shores of the beach, sloshing water across the sand. Cold water. It can't be more than thirty-five degrees. Warm enough that it hasn't thought to freeze, not yet anyway. Not like last winter, when the lighthouse was plastered with ice, Lake Michigan swell frozen midair, clinging to the edges of the wooden pier. But that was last winter. Now it's fall there's still plenty of time for the lake to freeze. I walk a body length or two away from the lake so my shoes don't get wet, but still, they get wet. The water sprays sideways from the lake, the surf a solid four or five feet high. If it were summer, tourist season, the beach would be closed down, dangerous swimming conditions and rip currents to blame. But it's not summer. For now, The tourists are gone. The town is quiet. Some of the shops closed until spring. The sky is dark. Sunrise comes late and sunset early these days. I peer upward. There are no stars. There is no moon. They're hidden beneath a mass of gray clouds. The seagulls are loud. They circle overhead, visible only in the swiveling glow from the lighthouse's lantern room. The wind whips through the air, upsetting the lake, making it hard for the gulls to fly. Not in a straight line, anyway. They float sideways. They flap their wings tenaciously and yet hover in place, going absolutely nowhere, like me. I pull my hood up over my head to keep the sand out of my hair and eyes. As I crisscross the park, heading away from the lake, I pass the old antique carousel. I stare into the inanimate eyes of a horse, a giraffe, a zebra, a sea serpent chariot, where a half dozen years ago, I had my first kiss. Lee Forney, now a freshman at the University of Michigan studying biophysics or molecular something or other, or so I heard. Lee isn't the only one who is gone. Nick Bauer and Adam Gott are gone, too. Nick to Caltech and Adam to Wayne State, playing point guard for the basketball team. And then there's Percival Allard, a.k.a. Percy, off to some Ivy League school in New Hampshire. Everyone is gone. Everyone but me. You're late, Pretty says, the sound of a bell overhead tattling on my overdue arrival. She stands at the register, counting dollar bills into the drawer. Twelve, thirteen, fourteen. She doesn't look up as I come in. Her hair is down, tight curls of silver rolling over the shoulders of a starched, no-nonsense blouse. She's the only one in the room who's allowed to have hair that is let down, the waitresses who beetle around in their black and white uniforms, filling salt and pepper shakers, bowls of creamer, 
all have theirs tied back in ponytails or cornrows or braids, but not Mrs. Pretty. I tried to call her Bronwyn once. That is, after all, her name. It says so right there on her name tag. Bronwyn Pretty. It didn't go so well. Traffic, I say, and she sniggers. On her ring finger is a wedding band, given to her by her late husband, Mr. Pretty. There's speculation that her incessant nagging was the cause of his death. Whether or not it's true, I can only assume. She has a mole on her face, right there in the sallow folds of skin between the mouth and the nose, a raised mole, dark brown and perfectly round, which always sports a single gray hair. It's the mole that makes the rest of us certain pretty as a witch. That, and her maliciousness, there's room.